We are going through a sermon series called The Sermon God Wrote, uh, studying the book of Hebrews. Uh, Tonight, we're going to be in chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. Next week and the next couple of weeks, we're going to push pause on our series in Hebrews. We're going to look a little bit more closely at Christmas and the birth of Jesus. Then the first Sunday of the year, we're going to have kind of a special celebration service, our, our first birthday, our first anniversary together as Sound City Bible Church. And then we'll pick back up in Hebrews uh, in January and we'll continue on for the better part of 2016. We'll still be in Hebrews. So with that said, I'm going to read these verses in Hebrews chapter 5. Uh, verses one through six, I'll pray and then we'll spend some time unpacking. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, He is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray together, church. God, we thank you for your word. And God, I thank you that when we open your word and we go line by line and verse by verse, God, sometimes we're confronted with ideas or concepts that we wouldn't normally choose to talk about. And God, I I will admit, uh, for many of us, this idea of a high priest is somewhat of a foreign concept. And God, so I'm praying tonight that you would give us all uh, minds to understand what it is that's being said in these verses. God, would you help me to teach uh, not only truthfully, but to teach with clarity, to be helpful in explaining and unpacking these ideas? And God, for all of my friends gathered here tonight, I pray that we would have a heart to draw near to God through Jesus, that we would have a heart that would respond to the invitation of Jesus, our great high priest. May all of our focus and all of our attention be on him tonight. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. I'll tell you a little story. This is true. A few years ago, uh, I did a hospital visit uh, for a member of the church that I was a part of that was sick and in the hospital. That's a pretty common thing to do as a pastor. You go and visit somebody, pray for them, uh, encourage them, comfort them. Maybe do like what James chapter five talks about, anoint them with oil to, and pray for their healing. Uh, what's, what's not common is when those phone calls come in. So I think that the phone call I got was, hey, they're, they're sick, they're in the hospital, it's not looking good, can you come pray for them right away? And uh, don't let the necktie fool you. I don't always dress up this nice. It's a Christmas thing. Uh, At the time, I think I was wearing like a Johnny Cash t-shirt, some blue jeans, and Chuck Taylors, right? I may have been even wearing a beanie. Uh, It was was a kind of a a lazy day off. And so I jump in my car, and I, I run straight to the hospital, and I get on the elevator trying to get up to the floor where this member of the church was. As I got on the elevator, right after me, 
walks on a Catholic priest in the full black clothing, the white collar, the whole nine yards. And then I kid you not, this is absolutely true, immediately after him on walks an Eastern Orthodox priest in the robes with the big cross and the headwear, the whole nine yards. And I just remember we're riding up the elevator together and I'm, I'm, I chuckled to myself kind of under my breath. And I thought, you know, if we were to take a survey after we got done with this elevator ride of how many ministers were on this elevator, I think we'd come up with different numbers. <laughs> I mean, they looked the part. They were both dressed like priests in their respective faith traditions, and so was I, doggone it, in my Johnny Cash t-shirt, right? <laughs> this idea of priest, for many in our culture, is, is kind of an unusual concept. And I would even say that in my experience, many people who were raised Catholic or Anglican or Orthodox, where they use that terminology of priest for their church leadership, many people still have a lot of questions about it. What does it mean? What is this idea of a priest all about? It's not a particularly uh, common topic of conversation in our 21st century American culture. I would even go so far as to say that the idea of high priest is even more unusual High priest, for most people, conjures up images of, of maybe dark robes and a knife or pagan worship practices out in the woods or something. The, the, the idea of a high priest is a strange one indeed. The author of Hebrews is going to talk about Jesus being our high priest a lot going forward. In fact, the next five chapters of the book of Hebrews, he's going to continually come back to this idea. Jesus is our high priest. Jesus is our high priest. Because Jesus is our high priest, it means this or that or the other thing. He's going to continually come back to this idea of the high priest. And so I thought it would be good for us to make sure that we, we took a little bit of time to understand what the author of Hebrews is saying. How many of you would agree that the author of Hebrews is writing to people or is speaking to a group of people who probably had a better understanding of the Old Testament scriptures than most of us do? Would you agree with that? And, and it's not just because um, they would read it more, but honestly because they would live it more. Their worship practices looked different. This is what they experienced. This is what they lived. This is what their people had identified with for literally thousands of years. And so the author of Hebrews is presupposing that his hearers are understanding what he's talking about when he says high priest. I don't know if that's necessarily the case with you and with me. But there's another reason why it's important to understand and unpack these, these Old Testament ideas of the priesthood and the high priest and these worship practices. There's, a, there's another reason why it's important. It's because Jesus said it's important. Jesus said in John chapter five, he's having a conversation with the religious leaders. He's having a conversation with the Pharisees and he, he's talking with them and he says, you know, you search the scriptures because you think that they contain the words of eternal life. He says, but you're totally missing the point that the scriptures bear witness to me. And just so that we're uh, clear about what Jesus is talking about when he says the scriptures, he says, if you believed Moses, you would believe me because Moses wrote of me. Isn't that interesting? Jesus said thousands of years ago when Moses wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, he was writing about me. How many of you know that the, the point, the message of the entire Bible is Jesus? How many of you know that? Even when we get to some of those hard to understand parts, right? Like in Leviticus. Any of you ever, ever read Leviticus? 
Okay, here's, here's what often happens, right? You start out with your, I'm gonna read the Bible in a year plan. January, I got Genesis, I got Exodus, I'm doing great. Somewhere around February or March, you hit Leviticus, and it's like, I'm gonna switch to Matthew, right? Like, that happens to us because there's these, there's these descriptions in the Old Covenant, there's these descriptions in the Old Testament that can be hard for us to understand. But the author of Hebrews says that this is important and Jesus himself says that it's important. So I wanna take a few minutes and unpack this idea of the priesthood. Good with you guys? If you're, if you're a note taker, you're welcome. This will be a good one for you. You'll probably wanna loosen up your wrists a little bit here. Make sure you're, you're ready to take good notes because uh, there's a lot of information to unpack. Let's start with the idea of just a priest in general. What is a priest? What does a priest do? The big idea of a priest is that a priest is someone who goes in between God and man. Why is that necessary? Well, because the relationship between God and man has been severed and broken by sin. That all the way back in the earliest pages of the Bible, God and, and mankind existed in perfect relationship and fellowship, but Adam and Eve, our first parents, chose sin and rebellion and folly, and ever since then, there has been a breach in the relationship between God and man. Don't you find it interesting that literally every human culture that has ever existed has had some sort of priesthood? Because I think that we all know deep down in our hearts and our souls that there is something wrong in our relationship with God and we need help to reconnect. A priest is someone who helps mankind reconnect with God. But it's not just as simple as that because you have to remember that God is holy. When the Bible speaks about God, particularly in the Old Testament, it talks about him in terms of like a consuming fire. Or when his voice speaks, it thunders like, like the roar of waters or like an earthquake, that, that God is holy. When we speak of a holy God, we're speaking of a weighty and a powerful and an awe-inspiring God. To, to offer to be the priest, to offer to be the one that mediates between God and men is a weighty responsibility. It's, it's, it could be in many cases, literally taking your life into your hands. Let me give you an analogy. Quick show of hands. How many of you have lost power at some point in the last few months because of all these windstorms we've been having, right? Who knew 2015, the year of the windstorm in, in Washington, right? I actually saw on, I think it was on Facebook yesterday that a literal tornado touched down south of Tacoma. Did you guys see that? That is crazy, right? The end is nigh. I'm just kidding. When you lose your power, there's a special breed of lunatic who then goes out. They get into this death bucket vehicle. They're called linemen, right? And they get into this vehicle where you're taking your life into your hands to go up into the sky and then reconnect the power lines uh, to your house so that you can have electricity. If you are an electrician, God bless you. I'm a fan of your work. You would not want me doing that. You would not want any person who was untrained or unprepared dealing with that high of voltage of electricity. Would you agree? It takes a particular skill set. It takes a particular amount of training and it's a very risky and dangerous thing. The electricity going to people's houses is a great thing. It's a good thing, but it's a serious and intense thing. Now, obviously it's an imperfect analogy, but the role of a priest is kind of like that. They're going in between Mankind, broken mankind, and they're going before a holy God to help reestablish the connection. David De Silva, one Bible scholar, puts it this way. He says, we who live in the Western world where the holy 
tends to be perceived as more harmless than menacing, we will need to work hard to appreciate the incredible breakthrough that the author of Hebrews will proclaim in his central discourse. What he's saying is we need to understand just how um, radical it is when the author of Hebrews says that Jesus is our high priest. So what about the biblical priesthood? When was that established? Well, you'll remember that God set his people free from hundreds of years of slavery in Egypt. He led them out. They crossed through the Red Sea. They went into the desert. God said, I'm gonna take you to a, a beautiful land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And then he took one particular family group, the family of Aaron. Moses had a brother named Aaron and he took Aaron and said, I want you and your sons to be the family of priests. This is from Exodus 28. Bring near to you, Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the people of Israel to serve me as priests. Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu. There are any expectant mothers here? Great names to consider, right? Eleazar and Ithamar. So God selected Aaron and his sons to serve as the family of priests. What else was required? Well, that's the first requirement. What was required to be a priest was you had to be a male, you had to be from the tribe of Levi, and you had to be a descendant of Aaron. That's the first and most simple requirement. There were 12 tribes in Israel, and Levites, that was the special tribe that was chosen to be the, the ones who attended to the temple worship. The family of Aaron specifically got to be priests. What else was required? You had to be between the ages of 30 and 50. No younger than 30, no older than 50. No younger than 30 uh, because, well, this role of priest requires maturity and, and leadership and, and wisdom. And no older than 50 because, uh, quite frankly, the, the role of the priesthood was quite taxing, physically taxing, spiritually taxing, emotionally taxing. And so uh, the, the book of Numbers tells us that you had to be between the ages of 30 and 50. The third requirement is you had to have a proper marriage. You had to have a proper marriage. Uh, the priests were not allowed to marry uh, women from other uh, people groups. They were not allowed to marry anyone who had been uh, promiscuous or a prostitute or an adulterer. The high priest was not even allowed to marry a widow. It, it was not, it's not wrong to marry uh, a widow it wasn't wrong for the other priests, but the high priest specifically was not allowed to marry a widow. There are all sorts of rules about their marriage. Number four, they had to be physically whole. It's actually, uh, it's kind of interesting to read these verses in Leviticus. It talks about things like you couldn't be a hunchback and serve as a priest. Uh, no one could serve as a priest if they had one limb that was longer than the other one. Uh, I was really confused for about 30 minutes this week when I was doing my sermon prep why you couldn't be blonde and serve as a priest. And then I realized that the text actually said blind and I was reading it wrong. So <laughs> blonde people were fine, apparently. That's not a physical defect. Uh, they had to be physically whole. They had to uh, represent uh, purity and wholeness to be able to lead the people. And number five, they even had to dress and groom themselves in particular ways. There's all sorts of rules about what the priests would wear, what they had to wear, what they weren't allowed to wear. There's all sorts of rules about grooming their beards. Uh, anybody here been in the military? Served in the military? You know the, the requirements on dress code? You know the requirements on facial hair? It seems like almost all of the friends I've ever had uh, who are military, the moment that they got out of the military, they all grew massive beards. 
like the men anyways, right? Uh, <laughs> you know, the, the military puts all these rules on how you dress and how you groom yourself because of, of various reasons. Well, it's kind of similar like that. To be a priest, there was all sorts of requirements on your attire and on your, your hair length and your beard. I mean, just, just looking at this list, you have to realize that being a priest was a pretty weighty responsibility, Serving as a priest wasn't just something that, uh, you know, was like kind of something fun that you just picked up for the weekend. No, this was a life-encompassing calling. This was something that you were called to, and you didn't just get to uh, set it aside when you went home. If you were a priest, you were a priest all the time. So what were the priests responsible for? What did they do? There's kind of four main buckets that we could summarize the responsibilities of the priests into. The first one is this, overseeing worship services in the tabernacle, the temporary tent, or later, once they built the temple, uh, the permanent building, the permanent temple. They would oversee worship. And you notice I put just the book of Leviticus as its reference because there are literally commandments scattered throughout that entire book, also in Exodus, also in Deuteronomy, to oversee worship. They would, they would be responsible for things like cleaning, cleaning the tabernacle and setting up the furniture and baking bread. And they would be responsible for blowing trumpets to assemble the people. And there would be times when they would lead in singing and they would lead in prayers. There would be times when they would uh, receive animals from the people and then offer them as sacrifices. By the way, aren't you glad that livestock is not involved in our worship services anymore? I mean, it is hard enough to get to church with two or three little kids, much less having to bring a cow or a goat with you, right? They, they, the priest would receive these animals, they would kill these animals, and they would offer them as sacrifices to God because sin requires a sacrifice. So that's the first responsibility that the priest would have. The second responsibility was that they would teach the people of God his truth, his law, his word. Leviticus 10 Verses 10 and 11 say this, you are to distinguish between the holy and the common and between the unclean and the clean and you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. They were responsible to open up the word of God, the, the stone tablets that God had given on Mount Sinai, the book of the law that God had given to Moses and to teach the people to say yes to righteousness and to say no to sin and ungodliness. They were responsible to instruct the people. Number three, they were responsible to settle disputes. They had almost a role like a judge. Listen to what it says here. The priests shall... The sons of Levi shall come forward for the Lord your God has chosen them to minister to him and to bless in the name of the Lord. Here it is. And by their word, every dispute and every assault shall be settled. So if you and your friend have a very strong disagreement or an argument, who are you going to call to help you sort it out and resolve it? You'd call the priest. If your neighbor built something on your property and you were having a dispute about where your property line is, you would call the priest. If someone attacked you or stole from you and you wanted to seek justice, the person you would go to would be the priest. The priest had a, uh, almost like a law-keeping sort of a function. The priest would go between people and try to sort out messy and, and tricky situations. Those first three buckets are, are pretty well-defined. The last one, I'm just going to call and other duties as required. 
Anybody ever have that in your job description at your work, right? And other duties as required. And then sometime you're like, you know, you're, you're a software engineer and you're outside like cleaning somebody's car. You're like, how did I sign up for this again? It's like, oh, and other duties as required, right? The priests, <laughs> the priests had some unusual extra things that they would be asked to do. Things that don't fall neatly into any one bucket or another. Let, let me just read you one example. This is from Leviticus 13. You ready for this? Leviticus 13, just imagine this being in your job description. When a man or woman has a disease on the head of the beard, the priest shall examine the disease. And if it appears deeper than the skin and the hair in it is yellow and thin, that's kind of gross, uh, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is an itch, a leprous disease of the head or the beard, and if the priest examines the itching disease and it appears no deeper than the skin and there is no black hair in it, do you ever think that the priest's like, hey, I didn't know that this was in the job description when you called my family line into it, right? You're gonna dis you're, then you have to shave himself, but the itch he shall not shave. And the priest shall shut up the person with the itching disease for another seven days. And it goes on and on and on about how the priests are to examine people's itching hairy diseases. <laughs> I am very thankful that in all of my years in ministry, I have never been asked to examine anyone's leprous itching disease. But there's almost like a medical function that they're fulfilling here. They're fulfilling a medical function. They're fulfilling something that would either be the, the role of like maybe healthcare professionals or also maybe even parents to teach kids about hygiene and, and taking care of oneself. The, the priests were responsible. If you got mold in your house, they would come either get the mold out or there, were, there are instructions I read this week about how to just dismantle and burn the house if you can't get rid of the mold. Some unusual things that the priests were required to do. Whatever would serve the people, whatever would love the people, whatever would be best for the people. I actually think, by the way, in this little passage about the itching disease with the black or the yellow hair in it, uh, there's gospel in there. Because think about this, the Bible says that Jesus is our great physician who heals not only our bodies, but he heals our very souls. There's gospel to be had in there. There's some way that this can point us to Jesus, even as unusual as it sounds to us. So that's what the priests would do. They had a variety of responsibilities, but that was for the whole priesthood. What about the high priest? Let's focus in on, on him. Let's focus in on his role. John Owen, a Puritan preacher for a few hundred years ago said, the males of Aaron's family were equal as far as the priesthood was concerned. But there was one who was the head of the rest, whose office was not distinct from theirs, but did many special things. The whole office was primarily vested in him, the rest of the priests being regarded as his assistants. So that's the first thing I want you to understand about the high priest is that he led all of the other priests. He was the head of a team of priests. The high priest is the one who stands out. He's the most important. He has the most responsibility, but he's not alone. He has a, a whole team of priests that he functions with, that he uh, leads with. Second thing that the high priest was specifically responsible for was inquiring of the Lord. 
meaning to go before God and ask questions and seek for answers from the Lord. Think about that as a weighty responsibility. God, what are we supposed to do in this situation? Where are we supposed to go? What decision are we supposed to make? The high priest was responsible to go alone, off by themselves, pray and seek the Lord and come back before the people and say, this is what God says to do. Does that sound like a weighty responsibility or what? Especially considering that there were severe penalties for speaking a false prophecy. The high priest was responsible to inquire of the Lord. Third, the high priest was specifically responsible for keeping the golden lampstand burning. In the tabernacle or in the temple, there were these lampstands. And the high priest was responsible for keeping them burning. These lampstands are a picture of spiritual life. These lampstands are a picture of God's presence actually being with his people. And the high priest was responsible to keep that burning, to keep that going. I also find this very interesting when you read in the book of Revelation that Jesus talks about closing down lampstands of churches who have wandered away from him. It's kind of an interesting connection there. The the high priest had that specific responsibility. Number four, the high priest had a specific responsibility to burn incense. Incense in the Old Testament worship service was representative of the prayers and the songs of the people of God. The Bible says that when God's people pray and when God's people sing and when God's people worship, that it goes up before God like a sweet smelling incense. Any of you like to burn incense in your home or a candle or something that, that smells good, right? Okay, a few heads shaking. No, I know some people don't like that, but, but a lot of people do, and it's a very pleasant experience. You know, you know like, uh, like when we bake cinnamon rolls out here in the lobby sometime and everyone walks in and thinks, I love this church, right? Like that's, that's, that's done in- intentionally, right? A sweet smelling aroma, very pleasing What the Bible says is that when we sing and when we pray and when we talk to God, it's like that. It's pleasing to God. He enjoys it. When we sing to him, he enjoys it. When we pray to him. And the high priest was responsible for burning the incense, not only daily, but then on the high holy day, the day of atonement, the most important day of the year. And this leads me to the fifth and final and most important specific role of the high priest. And it was to offer the sacrifice on the day of atonement. See, sin requires a sacrifice. Sin requires that a debt be repaid. And God, in his grace, established a way that once a year, the people could gather and the high priest would go before all of the people and he would go in front of all of the other priests and he would offer a sacrifice for himself. And then he would take another sacrifice and he would go into what was called the holy of holy, the most holy, the most secret place. He would go behind a curtain. He would disappear from the side of the people. He would offer a sacrifice asking God to forgive the sins of the people of Israel. He would be in there for for some length of time. People would be sitting and watching and waiting with bated breath. It's it's dramatic. It's the most most intense day of the year. It's the, the peak of their calendar year and the high priest would vanish from their sight and finally after a long time of waiting he would come out and he would announce that God has accepted the sacrifice and the people's sins are forgiven until next year. And then they would do it again. And they would do it again. And they would do it again. And here's the thing. If the high priest that was serving as a high priest was a good high priest, then the people had a good leader and the people flourished. 
Israel had a pretty checkered history with our high priests. There were some not good guys, people who did not lead the people well, people who did not care for the people well, and things did not go good, did not go well for the nation. It would be hard for me to overstate the importance of the high priest to the people of Israel, uh, not only all the way back at the time of Moses, but even going to the time when the book of Hebrews was written. There are a couple of, uh, of, of historians, people from around the time when the book of Hebrews was written, and they talk about the high priest in this way. Uh, Josephus is one. He said that it was the most honored of revered names and it was the highest dignity when we'd speak of a high priest. Or Philo of Alexandria says that the law invests the priests with the dignity and honor that belongs to kings. The high priest was a big deal. You guys, we're about to spend this next year of our you know, collective attention as a nation on who is gonna serve as the next president of the United States. It's a lot of attention. It's a lot of focus on one person in one office of leadership. To the people of God, the high priest was like that. It's so important, such an area of focus, such a, a revered position of leadership, which is why when the author of Hebrews says that Jesus is our high priest, it should get our attention. The original hearers would have been startled to hear that. Let's go back to Hebrews chapter five, verse one. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. Let me just highlight a couple of things that the author of Hebrews is saying about high priests in general. This is referring to all the high priests. The first one is this, that they're chosen and called and appointed by God. They're chosen and they're called by God. A high priest didn't just get to walk in and say, I'm high priest now. The high priest had to actually be called by God. Do you know why? Because God cares about who leads his people. Do you know why? Because God loves his people. God loves his people. Did you know that God loves his people? Did you know the Bible speaks of God being a jealous God, a righteous type of jealousy for his people? If you are one of God's children, he loves you, he cares about you, and he cares about who is in charge of, of leading and serving you. So the high priests were chosen and they were called by God. This is something that God does. Second is that they were chosen from the people and they were put into a position of leadership on behalf of the people. They're from the people and they're for the people. You didn't get to be a high priest just because you like, you know, butchering animals or because you like going through rituals time and time again. No, you have to be a high priest because you care about the people the way that God cares about the people. And you have to be able to relate to the people. It says that they're chosen from among men. This is someone who comes out of the people. It's almost like the idea of a representative, the third thing that they do is they offer sacrifices. Again, this is the most important thing that a priest can do, offer sacrifices to make sure that the sins of the people are forgiven. And number four, they can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward. They can care for the people of God. Let me, uh, I, don't, I, don't, I try not to, to do too much Greek with you guys, but this, this word can deal gently. It's one word in the Greek and it's an interesting word. It's not used anywhere else in the New Testament. 
And the idea behind the word is that they're able to keep their emotions in check because they're dealing with frustrating people and frustrating situations. How many of you have ever dealt with a frustrating person or situation? Show of hands, right? Okay, how many of you have struggled at times to keep your emotions in check? Okay, good. I was gonna say, we have a few honest people here tonight. I'm very, very thankful for that, right? There are times where dealing with frustrating people and situations can get the best of us, can cause us to lose our cool, lose our temper. What God is saying is if you're gonna be a high priest This person has to be able to deal gently, to keep their own emotions in check, to not make it about themselves, to not lose their cool, to lose their temper, but to deal gently with the people the way that Jesus deals gently with us. And with what kind of people? The ignorant and wayward. Those are nice words, aren't they? Ignorant and wayward. Ignorant means you don't know something. Okay, honesty. This is a church. You have to be honest. How many of you have ever been frustrated with someone who's ignorant? Yeah? Okay. Why are you frustrated with them? They don't know. Well, because it's frustrating that they don't know. I know. I get it. Sometimes when people are ignorant, they don't know things. It can be very frustrating. You could even be tempted to say something like, what's wrong with you? How come you don't know this? High priests can't deal that way with people who are ignorant. They have to teach them, have to instruct them, have to be gentle with them. And the wayward... Okay, how many of you you have ever been frustrated with someone who was wayward? This word wayward isn't the same as ignorant. It means they know the truth and they're just forgetting it. They've been deceived. They've been sold a bill of goods. They've been lied to and they're forgetting what the truth is. Guess what? The high priest still has to deal with them gently. Still has to deal with the wayward gently. I find it interesting also that what's not mentioned here is hard-heartedness. Just to remind you, these last few chapters, we've talked a lot about God's judgment coming on those who remain hard-hearted. I would submit to you there's a difference between what's being described here, the ignorant and the wayward, versus those who are hard-hearted. The hard-hearted, they don't want to hear a word of correction. They're stuck in their ways. They're convinced that they're right. And when God brings correction, they dig in their heels even further. A wayward person or an ignorant person, when, when there's correction brought, they're going to hear it and they're going to want to respond. How many of you have been ignorant or wayward at times in your life? How many of you have been ignorant and wayward today? <laughs> the high priest is going to be able to deal gently, but there's, there's two problems. First is this, he's beset with weakness. He's beset with weakness. That means this priest can't keep doing it forever. The high priest is eventually either going to age out, he'll become too old to continue to serve, or he'll die. So these high priests, are they're wearing out. They have to be replaced every so often. Like like, tires on your car. These high priests are beset with weakness and they also have to offer sacrifices for themselves because they themselves are sinful people. The high priests weren't perfect men. The high priests were held to a very high standard, but they were not perfect men. They themselves needed forgiveness. They themselves needed to offer a sacrifice for the people before then they could go offer, sorry, for themselves before they could offer a sacrifice for the people. Here's the point. The Old Testament priesthood was a gift of God to his people. It was a gift of his grace, but it was inherently incomplete. It was designed to be temporary. It was designed to point us to our need for a permanent high priest, one who had no sin of his own and one who would never wear out, one who 
who would last in the role of high priest forever. You can probably tell where I'm going with this, church. His name is Jesus. So also, actually this is where he's going too, so also Christ, verse 5, did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And as he says in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. There are two Psalms referenced here. Psalm 2, you're my son, I've begotten you. That's the first quote. And then you are a priest forever uh, after the order of Melchizedek comes from Psalm 110. The author of Hebrews is trying to make his point that Jesus is our high priest. I want to uh, also invite you, this, this name Melchizedek, this is the first time it's mentioned. Melchizedek is a very interesting figure from the Old Testament. I'm going to ask you for tonight to just put Melchizedek aside for just like two months. And we'll come back to him in February. We'll, we'll spend a lot of time talking about Melchizedek. The part I want you to focus on tonight is this, that Jesus Christ is a priest forever. Jesus Christ is a priest forever. And the things that are true about the other high priests are also true about him. First of all, he was called and appointed by God. The Bible teaches that, that God sent the son into the world to be the high priest, to be this mediator, to be the one who could go between God and man. He was appointed by God. It even says so right there in verse five. He was from the people and he was for the people. Think about this. Jesus is not just God, but he's God who became a man. That is what the whole focus of this Christmas season is all about, that, that God took on human flesh, became weak and vulnerable as a, as a baby, as an infant, the child, Jesus. We sing of, of O come, O come, Emmanuel. The word Emmanuel means God with us. But he's not just God who, who parachuted in and says, let me just come in and fix all this. No, he actually landed, the Bible says, and set up his tent with us, that he moved into the neighborhood. He tabernacled with us, that Jesus lived as a human being. As we learned last week, he was tempted and tested and tried in every way as we are. So Jesus can lead us as our high priest from a place of deep knowledge and empathy and understanding. Jesus gets it. Jesus cares. He's from the people and he is for the people. The third thing about Jesus is also true that he offers a sacrifice. But unlike the other high priests, he doesn't have to offer a sacrifice for his own sins first. Jesus lived a perfect life. That's good news, amen? And Jesus died on a cross, not only as the priest, but as the sacrifice itself. I had an opportunity this week to share the gospel with a young child uh, who had not grown up in church. She did not know the gospel story. She was somewhat unfamiliar with the Bible. And so I was talking to her about Jesus and I said, you know, when Jesus was crucified and they, they, they killed him on a cross and she said, what does that mean? And it was a good reminder for me because as I explained it to her in, in age-appropriate terms, but also being honest, being frank about what happened, I said they took Jesus and they beat him and they whipped him and they bruised him and then they took sharp thorns and they put it on his head and made his head bleed and then they took nails and they pounded nails through his hands and through his feet and nailed him to a big piece of wood, a big cross 
And her reaction to that was that she gasped. Guys, <gasps> the cross is horrific. We have 2,000 years of Western civilization that has put the cross up as this nice gold-plated thing. We, we have it on buildings. We have it in designs. We wear it as a piece of jewelry. You guys, it was horrific. When you read the Old Testament, when you read in the book of Leviticus, the worship services they did were very bloody. Uh, there's verses, I read them again this week, just went back over them, where they would talk about you know, killing the animals, draining out their blood, and then they would splash blood all over the place, literally splashing blood all over the altar, splashing blood all over the people. And you think, man, that's, that's kind of grotesque. That's a little, it makes us uncomfortable. It's not very neat and tidy and sanitized. But you guys, we have to remember that our sin is an ugly thing and it cost the Son of God his very life. Blood is very primal. If we do not have blood in our bodies, we do not live. Blood causes a reaction in us. And when we see that Jesus Christ offered himself as a sacrifice, a bloody sacrifice, his flesh ripped to shreds, his blood spilled everywhere, may we never shrink back from that truth, but may we remember that it's in his shed blood that we find our redemption. It's in the spilled out blood of Jesus that we find our cleansing and our freedom and our forgiveness. We gather together every week as a church at this table and we take the bread and the wine, which are symbols to remind us of the, 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 the shredded up flesh of Jesus and the blood that was pouring everywhere. The message of the gospel can make us uncomfortable, but we need to be made uncomfortable because otherwise we would look for neat and tidy, sanitized solutions to a sin problem that can only be solved by the blood of Jesus Christ. We need Jesus as our sacrifice. We need to remember the seriousness that his sacrifice was. And number four, just like the other high priests, Jesus can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward. Is that good news to anybody here tonight? Jesus deals gently also with the ignorant and the wayward. His response, like we saw last week, is not to come in with condescending, what's wrong with you? You should know better. Rub your nose in it. No, he says, hey, I love you. I died to forgive your sins. Let me come alongside with you and let me help you. Let me teach you. Let me shepherd you. Church, our Jesus is amazing. <laughs> Our high priest is the best high priest we could have ever wanted, amen? Our high priest is the best one. And actually, I would go so far as to say, our high priest is the only one. Jesus is the only high priest. He is the only one who is able to mediate between a holy and righteous God and sinful and fallen mankind. The apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy that there is only one God and there is only one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ. Church, the role of high priest is done in Jesus. No more applicants need to submit their resume. It's Jesus and him alone alone forever. I remember I shared this with you last week, but I just, I think of the woman that I had the conversation with a few months ago about how her and, her and God had an arrangement. The Bible says that that arrangement is Jesus Christ. Don't be deceived. Don't let others deceive you. There's no other arrangement that God has provided other than 
Jesus Christ. The way that we have relationship with God is through Jesus Christ, the high priest, the mediator, the one who can go between. Now, I wanna ask one last question uh, in our time tonight. So, okay, we see that Jesus is our high priest. We see that he's our great high priest. If Jesus is the high priest, where are all of the other priests? Where are all of the other priests who are, who are serving alongside and serving underneath this great high priest? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Thank you for that. You guys are great at asking questions that I'm prepared to answer. If you go all the way back into Exodus 19, God is speaking to the people of Israel way, way, way back at the beginning of the story. And he says this, he says to these people, if you will indeed obey my voice, keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples for all the earth is mine. He's saying, I love you. You're gonna be my special people. And then he says this, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Isn't that interesting? Way back in the beginning of the book, God makes this promise that I'm gonna have a whole kingdom full of priests. Let's go to the New Testament, the apostle Peter, after Jesus' death and after Jesus' resurrection, the apostle Peter says this, you are a chosen race. By the way, he's not speaking to people of one ethnic group. He's speaking to Christians. He says, you're a race. A royal priesthood. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? a holy nation, a people for his own possession. The apostle Peter is saying, if you are a Christian, you are now part of a new race of people, a new nation of people, one that is filled with priests, one that is filled with people who have direct access to God. Revelation chapter five, this is the apostle John writing at the end of his life, the last book of the Bible. And he's, he's having a vision of people worshiping the lamb in heaven. They're worshiping Jesus. And he sees this vision. It says, they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them, here it is again, a kingdom and priests, to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Let me tell you something, Christian. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you are a priest. Happy Sunday. Maybe you didn't even know that. Going back to my story at the very beginning, if you had gotten on that elevator, same as me, there would have been three priests on that elevator because if you are a Christian, God looks at you and calls you a priest. What does that mean? That means that you have direct access to God. It means that you do not need any other human being other than the man, Jesus Christ, to go directly into the presence of God. You do not need a spiritual leader. You do not need a pastor or an elder. You do not need a worship leader to lead you into the presence of God. You have access to the presence of God right now today because if you're a Christian, then you're part of a kingdom of priests. Listen, I like pastors. I happen to be one of them. I'm fond of pastors. And, and I, I love that pastors have a role to play in the leadership of the church, making decisions, caring for the people, praying for the people. But the one thing that pastors are never, ever, ever, ever to do is to try to offer you access to God. You have that. 
And as a matter of fact, as a pastor, I love to pray with people. But I can pick up sometimes when people come up to me and they say, oh, you know, pastor, would you pray for me? Would you help me? And I, I, can, I can pick up on this little subtle subtext of, I really need like a holy person like you to help uh, usher me into God's presence. I really want God to hear my prayers. So I need uh, someone like you, a real holy man, to pray for me. Listen, I love to pray with you. I'm not afraid to pray with you. But if you think that me or Travis or Shane or Joe or any of the pastors of this church are going to help you get access to God, you're wrong. It's through Jesus Christ alone. I love worship leaders. I'm thankful for these guys and gals who stand up on the stage and lead us in song, but they're not going to usher us into the presence of God. Jesus Christ alone does that. Are you hearing me on this? This is so important for us to get as Christians. We are a priesthood of believers. There's only one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. He's our high priest. You are a kingdom of priests. So let's draw near to God through Jesus. I'm gonna call us to a time of response now. And we're gonna respond uh, as we do in a variety of ways. The first way we're gonna respond is through the giving of our tithes and offerings. So I'd like to invite our financial stewards to come forward if they would. If you want information about how to give online or to give via text, that's in your connect card that you were handed. If you're a guest or a visitor, please know you're not obligated to give. We wanna invite you to give if you'd like as an act of worship to God. And while they're collecting the offering, let me read through some questions, some discussion questions for us this week for our community groups and our homes. First one is this, read Leviticus 16. I'm gonna give you a little bit of a homework assignment. Go read Leviticus 16 and this description of the day of atonement. What stands out to you and how do these seemingly strange, or at least strange to us, rituals point us to Jesus? Number two, what all does it mean? Because it means multiple things that Christ's priesthood is forever. Number three, what does it mean that we are a kingdom of priests? And if all Christians are priests, what implication does that have for our lives? Number four, where have you been ignorant or wayward? And how has Jesus dealt with you gently? And then go a step further. Is there someone in your life who is ignorant and wayward and you need to seek God for gentleness for them. And, and I would just remind you, this is not an opportunity to gossip and start sharing details about people's lives, but this is an opportunity for you to uh, maybe bring ways that God's trying to grow you in your heart and in your maturity uh, before your other brothers and sisters. A couple things to pray about. Give thanks that we as believers have direct access to God through Jesus. You guys, we need to thank God for that. That's such good news that we can go straight to God. Number two, pray that Jesus would help you to see him as gentle even in times when you realize that you've been ignorant or wayward. And number three, pray for people that you know who aren't Christians that they would draw near to God through Jesus, the only one who's the way to salvation. We're gonna sing. Sean and the team is gonna lead us in a time of singing. We're gonna respond with singing. While we, while we sing and celebrate God, we're gonna celebrate the Lord's table where we remember this broken body and this blood that was poured out for us. If you're a Christian, even if you're a guest or a visitor, you're welcome to join us at the table. If you're not a Christian, I invite you to simply reflect during this time on, on this practice and why it's so meaningful for us. Or even better, trust Jesus. Give your sin to him and join us at the table. There's always room for more in the family of God. So I'm gonna invite you to stand if you would and I'll pray and then we'll begin our time of response. <laughs> Father God, thank you Thank you that we can come to you. Thank you that, 
that we are invited to have direct access to God. We're, we're grateful for the gift that the priesthood was to the people of God in the old covenant, but we see that it's even better now because we can come to you directly. And God, I pray that we would do so. God, for any of my, my friends who are here tonight who are experiencing conviction about areas in their life where they've been ignorant or wayward, God, I pray that that conviction would lead them to repentance and that repentance would lead them to joy knowing that their sins have been forgiven by a merciful high priest whose name is Jesus. Help us to, to sing and to celebrate him and to have great joy in our hearts because Jesus is the only high priest that we need. And we sing and praise all of this in his name. Amen.